Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London, I'm Josh Noble. Russians are feeling the squeeze as tepid growth, falling real incomes, high inflation, rising taxes and cuts to social handouts hit living standards. Katie Martin speaks to our Moscow bureau chief about how the country's economic gloom is affecting ordinary people. So, Henry, you recently reported on a visit by President Vladimir Putin to a Mercedes factory outside Moscow where he was quoted as recommending the car to Russian consumers. Is he perhaps a little out of touch? Well, I mean, the interesting timing of this speech did raise eyebrows. He made this speech four days after a study by the state-run statistics agency showed that there was widespread poverty essentially across the country, that a third of Russians couldn't afford a second pair of shoes each year, and 12% of the population relied on outdoor or communal toilets at home. And so when you put those two things in stark contrast, it did look a little bit like Mr. Putin was slightly out of touch, or at least pandering to a part of the society that ordinary Russians could only dream of being part of. I mean, what do the latest statistics say about the purchasing power of most Russians? Over the last five years, real incomes, disposable incomes, have fallen every single year. And at the moment, people have probably got about 15% less money in their wallets to spend than they had five years ago. So people are definitely feeling the pinch. We've had a slight recession after 2014, then there's been pretty sluggish economic growth since then. Of course, the weakened ruble has made things more expensive, it's pushed up inflation, and we've started to see things like tax rises over the last year or so. So Russians really are feeling the pinch. I mean, how much blame for this are they pinning on the authorities? Is this directly down to economic sanctions? It's tough to say. You know, the sanctions when they first came in in 2014 didn't have so much of a major impact on the economy. The fall in the oil price that happened at roughly the same time was the reason for the recession. The sanctions, though, what they have done is they've made the Russian government much more hawkish when it comes to public spending. Those who favour tighter controls on the budget are winning out at the moment. There's much less calls for handouts and for benefits to be increased because Russia is thinking that if there are more sanctions coming down the line, and we've heard talk of those in the US and also in the EU with regard to chemical weapons use, Russia will need some money, a rainy day fund, if you like, to offset the impact of those. So while the direct impact of sanctions hasn't been huge, the psychological impact on those in control of monetary policy and fiscal spending has been marked. You've mentioned the oil price recently. That's picked up quite a bit. Is that not helping? Well, Russia brought in this fiscal rule over the last couple of years, which was a very bold and ambitious change of policy. And what they said is, we will cap the benefits from oil price rises up to a certain point. And after that, the money will be stashed away in a rainy day fund. So what that means is that as opposed to in previous years and decades where when the oil price was good, there was lots of money slushing around and the government would spend freely. And then, of course, when the price fell below a break even, they would then have to tighten up. They created this rule that would essentially create a buffer. Now, the buffer is set at around $47, $48 per barrel. So at the moment, with oil at about $70, they're making a lot of money. Last year, they banked a fiscal surplus of $41 billion which was the first for a very long time. And so while the economy looks pretty rosy and with oil prices at their current level, the Russian government is making money. It's not spending it. It's keeping it tucked away, as I said, for various reasons, but predominantly because they're not too sure what the next few years will bring in terms of sanctions. Is that not a little awkward to the people who can't afford to buy one more pair of shoes? Absolutely. And I think we're seeing that translate into public discontent. Of course, you add to that certain decisions made over the last 12 months by Mr. Putin's regime, including 
raising the retirement age, which was a hugely unpopular measure, which Mr. Putin took upon himself to push through and sort of has become quite tightly aligned with that policy decision. Then on the 1st of January this year, they raised VAT to 20%. So that's, again, just eating away more and more at disposable incomes. And so a large amount of public discontent towards the economy is present. And we've seen that reflected in Mr. Putin's popularity ratings. Trust in the president fell to a 13-year low this spring, down to about 35%, which is roughly half of what it was around 2014 with the annexation of Crimea. So yes, I do think that the economic problems here and Mr. Putin and his administration's way of handling it is translating into public discontent. Now, presumably Mercedes wouldn't have a factory outside Moscow if there weren't people there who were able to buy the cars. I mean, who are these people and how extreme is the inequality in Russia? Right. Well, I mean, we all know about the oligarchs and the ultra billionaires, but statistically, the top 3% of the country control 89% of the financial wealth here, which is an extraordinary level of inequality, even more stark when you look at assets, not just financial assets. So yes, there are definitely enough Russians who can afford to buy one of these cars. They're going to be producing around 25,000 cars a year from this factory outside Moscow. So the E-class sedans and SUVs, and you only have to walk around Moscow of an evening and to see many, many of these cars and other luxury brands driving around. Of course, there may also be customers from the public sector. Mr. Putin, in his speech at the factory, remarked that both he and many of his government ministers enjoy driving Mercedes cars, so I'm sure the government can use some of their expenditure to buy some of these luxury sedans. What we've seen in several Western countries as a result of inequality is rising discontent against political regimes, if you like, political norms. Where is the outlet for this sort of dissatisfaction in Russia? So after the pension decision, which made people work five years longer before they got their state pension, we did see protests all across the country, mainly by pensioners, but also by other members of society upset with this decision and what it would mean for the quality of life, I suppose. They kind of petered out and the government was able to assuage most concerns. When the VAT rise came in, there was some more discontent, but we haven't seen any kind of major, major protests that rank with some of the bigger ones we've seen in Moscow from Alexei Navalny, the opposition leader in recent years. So I think while there's a lot of discontent bubbling, there haven't yet been ways for people to express this or perhaps the political channels for it to be focused. And as we well know, it's not easy being a Russian opposition politician. And so right now the Kremlin is able to control this public anger. But if things keep getting worse and real incomes continue to fall, and especially if we see some kind of economic slowdown negatively, right now we're bubbling on about 1.5% GDP growth a year. I think you could see those protests get larger and maybe coalesce around some kind of a movement. But for now, Putin is managing to ride it out. Yeah, and there's definite signs that the Kremlin is aware of this threat. When I talk to officials in the government, they do recognise that there were some difficult decisions to be made and they've had an impact upon the regime's popularity. In February, Putin gave his annual State of the Nation speech and he focused almost exclusively on domestic issues, which was a really big change from previous years where he normally would talk about arms control or the threat of nuclear war or foreign policy. And so he talked about finding about $3 billion to spend on social handouts, things like subsidies for mortgages or child benefit increases. And so we are definitely seeing the machine sort of kick into action. They realize this is a danger for them. But like I said, we still need to see how this translates into more money to spend for Russian citizens and what that means for Putin's popularity. That was Katie Martin talking to Henry Foy in Moscow. Thanks for listening. 
Remember, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, you can find our latest subscription offers at ft.com forward slash offer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.